Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 159, The Anatomy of a Fight. Presented by Michael Malecki, Elsa S. Henry, Chevron Van Harl, and Monica Specka. Triangle panel, yes. Everything, all fighting is based on triangles. Mm-hmm. And uh, the weapon triangle, <laughs> huh? swords, feet, spears, feet, axes, mm-hmm. and fire emblem, and okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Too nerdy. We're gonna have fun. I'm not gonna feel at all weird for busting out Fiori's magic circle halfway through this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what have you done, Michael? What have I done? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Way too much, especially nowadays. Uh, although I do have to say the uh, the Fiori's, Ma- uh, Fiori's Magic Circle. I had a student last year who just wanted me to dis- wanted to disprove it in every single way. Thirty minutes of trying of him saying, "Well, what if I do this? You die." It's simple as that. What if I do this? You die. You die. <laughs> but if I do this, you die. So why don't you just follow along with the easy thing of making Not the dying. Them the <laughs> yeah. Make the good life choice, also known as the life choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, seems like we've got a pretty good house here today. So thank you guys for coming. My name is Mike Malecki. I'm the moderator of this panel, Anatomy of a Fight. Uh, we're going to be discussing a bunch of different systems today uh, that revolve around RPGs, LARP systems, parlor LARP systems, narrative storytelling, board games, maybe not a little so much, but if you have some questions, we'll see what we can do. I don't know if we have, do anybody on here a board game panelist? Okay, uh, so I, I can't help you with board games, but we can try. Uh, and, I can uh, competently discuss war games. Okay. <laughs> not so much board games. Throw a lot of Skaven on the board. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Orcs, all orcs, just forward. Um, uh, a little bit about my uh, companions here. If we can just have some introductions, a little bit about your uh, your background uh, for the panel. Oh, you want me to start? Yes. Okay. Cool. Hi, I'm Monica. Um, I am an author for the Onyx Path. Um, there's some people in the audience I know. Um, <laughs> have worked on um, combat systems and stuff for that. Uh, I'm mostly a tabletop role-playing game designer. I'm really invested in writing good, balanced combat systems. Um, I really am a big fan of high action and all that sort of thing. Um, if you want, do you want my like fighting real life resume too? Oh, if you have your fighting real life <laughs> resume too, that's definitely. How many people I've beaten up? Uh, no. um, I have formally studied um, Young Sim Do and Taekwondo, um, which are kicking arts, and I'm six feet tall and mostly legs, so you know. Uh, play to your strengths. Um, and have been informally studying um, practical self-defense with a very good friend of mine who is a certified Tang Sudo instructor. Um, and he and I practice that and work on that and have been teaching other people like out of his basement, which is kitted out to be like a gym. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, we've been doing that and like really studying defense arts specifically for women mm -hmm. um, for the last five years. So, uh, I'm Shervin von Hurl. Um, I actually uh, am, have not designed any games that are out there, uh, but um, I do mostly narrative um, uh, story games and, and uh, some basic American freeform style LARP stuff. Uh, my background, um, I have studied um, uh, American Kempo, Shotokan, Jeet Kundo, um, and the reality is uh, the times you would have thought that I could use those, because I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, everything kind of got thrown out the window and, um, I, you know, uh, figured out the hard way that a lot of this stuff um, kind of uh, without uh, without a lot of practice and experience kind of falls out in the in the real world so that's uh, kind of an interesting uh, way um. hi I'm Elsa Shinison Henry I'm a disability rights activist and a game designer for both LARP and tabletop um, and my fight experience is that I'm really fighty. Uh, I'm certified in two states for stage combat through the American Fight Directors, uh, Washington State and Idaho. Um, I've studied fencing, lawn disconnect, sword fighting, Aikido, Eskrima, there's a reason for that. And I've also done the personal self-defense stuff because it's useful. Um, in addition, probably my proudest fight thing is that I have been in a bar fight at Oxford University and won. <laughs> <laughs> but I did bleed. Um, and for me, um, my name is Mike Malecki. Uh, my game design experience, I'm the head of 11th Hour Productions, which is a LARP design uh, company. Uh, you may have seen some of our LARPs here if you've ever come to the Double Exposure Conventions, including Battlestar Galactica. Um, I also was a national storyteller for the Camarilla organization, which is White Wolf's, uh, was White Wolf's fan base, uh, and I was one of their uh, national storytellers for Changeling. Uh, I am also a, uh, I was also the head storyteller of Dystopia Rising New Jersey, which is a 300-person zombie LARP, um, full boffer. My fight experience is that I'm a United States Fencing Coaches Association member and fencing coach, professional. Uh, I also coach a high school fencing team. I have been an SCA uh, Ward of Arms winner. Uh, I am a member of HEMA. I am a member of uh, the Academy Duello, uh, which is mostly Eastern fighting. In addition to knowing Ishinru, Shotokan, Aikido, Hapkido, and Krav Maga. So we hope that you can know that there is a pretty, <laughs> pretty fantastic grouping of different types of fighting up here so that we can explain. Sidebar, you don't want this panel in a dark alley. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, you want to be in the dark alley. towards you. Yeah, yeah. But among, among the four of you, who would win in a fight? Just had to throw out the gold now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have my swords, crud! <laughs> Eskrima uh, is a Philippine fighting technique which uses the things in your environment to kill people. Yeah, I think I she wins. <laughs> well, one of the things that we wanted to talk about a little bit is uh, we'll start off with a little bit of pros and cons about different systems that we've seen. Uh, we can start off with RPG um, because with the, the beginning of RPG systems, of course, probably comes with uh, Dungeons and Dragons more than anything else <laughs> and somebody told me this the other night and I was I was kind of like really psyched about this for the panel 
is that the original Dungeons & Dragons talked about when you rolled the dice to hit, it was a narrative discussion afterwards. So when you rolled and you hit, you would then come up with your six seconds of fight. So you could make it as cool as you wanted it to be. And you hit. Or if you missed, you'd make it as cool as you wanted to be, and then you'd get hit. And I think that we've lost that a little bit sometimes in the... In the I mean, some of you may go out there and still do the old-style old narrative, but a lot of people just do hit, wound, and then they describe their hit instead of this lovely little thing. And one of the things that fighting is about is no fighting is just one attack one response. It is very, very fluid, very, very dynamic. So I was just wondering if there's any RPG systems that you know of that were exceptional that you've seen, and any RPG systems that you've seen that have just been, oh my god, why did we do this? Uh. Ooh, I have answers. Yeah, we have answers to that. Um, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I actually really like Apocalypse World for fight scenes because it is narrative. And it really encourages people to use their moves and be creative with how they use them. So if you have a character who's got a playbook with something that's really unique, you can use it to fight someone. In my game Dead Scare, there is, you know, kitchen equipment that you can use. And if you're playing the preacher's wife, you might say use the community feeding skill, which is basically cooking food for lots of people to whack somebody over the head with a cast iron skillet that you use to make cornbread for your entire church. So interpretation is really what's key there. And I think that helps create good fight scenes. On the other hand, um, let us never speak again of Victoriana, the 19th century steampunk 1990s role-playing game, which had the worst fight system I have ever seen in my life. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> How was, bad was it? <laughs> it was so complicated. Like, the different kinds of dice that you needed to roll to do anything were complicated, but also the number of spreadsheets that you needed oh, no, to use. Oh, no, once you say the word spreadsheet, we're not <laughs> Don't overcomplicate a, things. A, spreadsheets a note. <laughs> are never necessary. If you, if you see, if, you, if your game has spreadsheets, okay. please rethink. How many tables are there? That being said, there are some people who like spreadsheets. Mm -hmm, and, but true. I think, like, if you're going to make a spreadsheet game, you need to go into it with the design space forward to... To, like put your intent out there whenever you were designing anything state your intent as it like there's nothing wrong with that level of transparency so if this is a spreadsheets game put at the beginning of your book this is a spreadsheets game so that nobody goes into your spreadsheets game expecting something that's that's not that <laughs> I, I think i think that's that's really the most important point here is, is that you know be very transparent about what you're trying to do with your fight system right D and D, you know, moves in increments of, of of six seconds, right? Apocalypse World moves narratively with quick, clean breaks. Um, Fate has uh, a, a, a relatively quick fi fight system because you're not rolling for every single move that you're doing, but you're still using the world around you, and you're using more uh, descriptions, and there are more roles involved there. And as long as you're transparent in that, and the people who know know that going in up front. Like for me, the 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 worst that I've played a lot of was Shadowrun, and I love I love 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 Shadowrun, right? But I, I couldn't play it today, and I couldn't play it today because you would spend eight hours, and narratively you've maybe moved twenty five thirty minutes, right? Yeah. Here's your sixty d sixes. Right. Exactly. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. By that token, games that we love that are actually kind of terrible, Exalted. Oh yeah. Uh. I love Exalted, um, and it's awful. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm speaking mostly about first and second edition. Um, third edition did make some improvements um, in a lot of ways. Um, it still needs some work, but has made improvements in a lot of ways. But like, I don't know if it's a toss up as to which one is worse between first and second edition. I'm gonna have to go with first, roll defenses. Yeah, roll defenses and you could lose your defense. But like, again, you would play for six hours and you've gone through about 10 turns. We're not done yet. Drink more Red Bull, guys. We're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, God help you put an online game. Well, I used to stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning running them because I was much younger then. <laughs> I know, right? Can I ask a clarification question? Yeah. About, so, I think the problem was like a good game and bad game. Where did Shadowrun fall for you on that? Used to be a good game, now. Well, in in, in, ter in terms of combat systems, yeah, uh, that was the original question, right? Not yes, yeah, like yeah, it's not right. it's not about it's not because like actually a lot of us I think love the systems that are bad, right. But we just couldn't deal with the combat system <coughs> afterwards, right. so we're not really bashing. The, we're just saying that yeah, the combat yeah, system had some flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Let, I, I, let me let me be clear. Everything about Victoriana's system was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I hacked the hell out of it. <laughs> I think uh, I think my favorite uh, I think one of my favorite or the the one that I always had a problem with was the first Serenity. Oh God, yeah. Nothing was nothing was worse than the first Serenity because it was the closest thing to a combat system that could be combat. <laughs> but my it was basically I throw a punch at you. Now you get to roll to block. Now you get to roll to counterattack. At which point I get to roll to block. At which point we get to do it again until somebody wins. Yep. So Please you know, me. if if you took a drink for every single time you had to roll a dice in that, if you had really good luck, you'd be plastered in five minutes. <laughs> so because you would roll a whole ton of dice, and they did fix it later on down the line. But man, at the start, it was it was very very complex and very very crazy. I feel like for me, going back to sort of early '90s 2000s games, I would have to say um, the 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 kids version of Cyberpunk. Oh yeah. Uh, the combat system for that game, I still have nightmares about it. <laughs> because, like, you would get into combat, and then it's like, well, how many health points do you have? And how far can you take this fight before everyone is dead? <laughs> In real life. Yeah, well, can we flip to we'll some good? Flip to the yeah. good. We'll yeah. Flip, yeah, we no, want to we start out with the bad. So <laughs> <that> <laughs> this is some things about apocalypse. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. You say good, and I have to agree with that too. And I actually like um, the Powered by the Apocalypse system um, because of the way it compels people with um, mm -hmm. complications. Um, and my hippie game designer concept is that I actually think character death is really boring. I agree. Um, I actually think character death is incredibly boring. Um, like, I'm fine with it as a thing in existing games, and I don't want to erase it completely from everything, but I actually find that if you compel, um, impel the game forward by repeated complication, you have a much, much more engaging and interesting session. Okay. But that doesn't mean it needs to disappear from D&D. Don't, can, don't can, throw stones can, at me now. Can I qualify that? Because one yeah. of the things that, that Apocalypse World does allow you to do is character death, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but it's totally within your controls. It's not a random set. Of, so it's like you can, at the right dramatic moment, if it makes sense narratively for your character to die here, oh, Apocalypse sure. World allows you to do that. So and it's not fact, like it takes it away. One of yeah. the most satisfying character deaths I ever had was my fighter in Dungeon World. Um, I like. I love Dungeon failed. World so much. I, I critical like a deck rolled six or less on like I'm fighting everybody at the very end of the game and like finished the scene and my character died shot full of arrows on a pile of corpses like just slumped over. It was it was amazing. 
Because mm -hmm. and like the one great. character had had like progressed into something where she could see spirits and like got to see my ghost waving at everybody at the end. It was great. It was a great ending. But, but I opted into that. Yeah, I mean and, that's that's true. You can opt in with Apocalypse <clears throat> World. I once had a table full of dead scare players who rolled under six to set set a timer for a bomb. And I was like, look, you're all playing children in this scenario, so you can make the choice, but you have to make it as a table. Because I am not making the choice to kill a bunch of children. Right. This is not on me. <laughs> and they were like, no, we opt in. We opt in to have the bomb go off right now. And, and like, in a horror game, character death is important. It's way more important mm -hmm. in a horror game than it is in a high action yeah. game. And I should qualify that when I say I think character death is boring, I mean that in a high mm -hmm. action game, like yeah. an Exalted, a mm -hmm. Scion, even a, even a D&D, &D, unless you were putting a layer of realism in that like, yeah. the horror of this fantasy setting is that monsters will kill and eat you, and that goes back to transparency. Mm -hmm. If your intent as a designer is that like, the world is dangerous, you will go out there, things will kill and eat you, Cool. Have right. Fun. Have fun. Write a game about that, <laughs> yeah. where you could lose your character. Like I think if you're if you say that, and that's your expectation, and you design towards that, cool. Do it. If that's not what you want to do, don't include character death. If your game is about superheroes or whatever. There is value to playing to lose in these kind of contexts. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite games right now that I'm running. I love Seven C, the new one. I really love the new one. The, no, the old one with the exploding dice was another example of, uh, <laughs> of crazy. But I like the new one because it's very streamlined, and I also really like um, I like Fate System, especially with the Dresden Files game, mm -hmm. because it allows for a lot of narrative storytelling. And in fact, like 90% of the time when we run Dresden, half our people don't ever pull out their character sheet. They're doing stuff, and then they go, wait a minute, we're getting into a fight. Okay... And because it's such a simple system, you remember it in your head, you're just like, flip, 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 and then we describe. Flip, 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 you describe. And it gets done so quickly and so fast. It may not be exactly a fighting fit type style, but it's, it's a very fast one and a very quick one. So fate has my, has my heart right now a little yeah. bit. So. Yeah. Uh, my absolute favorite, and I'll, be admit, I'll admit I'm incredibly biased, is Burning Wheel's fight system. Um, I, I love the way that, that you're always planning three steps uh, in advance, and yet their strategy, because you're reading your opponent and you're trying to predict what three steps, what three actions they're going to take and counter those steps, and you resolve three steps at a time. So it kind of tries to capture that fact that a That's fight really, is flowing. It's really smart. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, but it's also incredibly lethal, right? Like when you get into a fight, you, there's a lot of narrative tools to avoid that fight, but when you select and say, yes, this is a fight, I am putting my character's life here. This is important enough to me. So it, it, it's, it goes back to character death. You get to pick that moment. You get to say, okay, here's where I want this fight. I'm going to give it everything I've got, but the, there's a possibility that my character is going to fail right here and, and the story is going to end. Um, and I really, really enjoy that. Okay. Um, so we talked a little bit about RPG systems and how they work. Um, we're going to move a little bit into LARP because I know there's some LARP designers in the crowd. Um, for, the, uh, for those who have a little bit of experience, um, uh, what is the, uh, for Boffer and Parlor LARPs, what are the negatives that we see out there today that, and yeah, I know you've got, uh, you've got some stuff for this, but. Uh, we'll let everybody else go first. <laughs> I actually don't LARP. You don't LARP? Nope. Okay. 
I, yeah, I've never really? done any, any of that. You're a little off on that. Yeah, one. I, I've, I've done a lot of American Freeform, but none of it has had any sort of combat in it. So I am. Crap. Yep, sorry. <laughs> so there you so go. It comes down to the two I mean, of us. I did not get to say um, what my favorite RPG was, though. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. So, so, so I will, I will throw that in there yeah. really quick while you guys yeah. think about what you're going to say. <laughs> uh, my current game crush is Through the Breach, which is the proprietary role playing game for the um, miniatures game Malifaux, which I also really Ooh, like and has a really fantastic. Yes. <laughs> uh, really fantastic, very dynamic combat system, both for the miniatures game. The miniatures game somehow manages to make a high action, really intense, chaotic game with little figures and stuff. A miniatures game? A miniatures game. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, but the, the role playing game uses the same system and it is a card deck system, not dice. Uh, and it uses like plus and negative modifiers like advantage and disadvantage and D&D 5e, pretty straightforward. People are familiar with that. Um, to do a quick, like, back and forth, difference between two numbers determines your modifier, flip that, add on a damage track, to deal, to take damage, move on. Um, and you have just the right amount of wounds that it's in between high action and lethal, mm-hmm. where, like, fighting is a risk, but your character will probably get the crap beaten out of them mm-hmm. and probably come out the better <clears> for <throat> it. Probably. <laughs> And I really, it hits a sweet spot for me between, oh, I'm just gonna die if I get in a fight, and also my desire to like scrap it out with people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's see. For um, thank you very much uh, yeah. for the uh, for for LARPing systems. You know, you do have you have your buffer, you have your LARP, you have your narrative systems that we run through. Um, uh, I think the negative for me for most buffer LARPs is that it's not as inclusive for everybody. Uh, we see a lot of people who say, well, you know, we can't do certain things. And <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is that I think that, you know, like, uh, let's put it this way. Elsa and I actually will fence each other occasionally. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, and the thing is, she's one heck of a fighter. But technically at some of the LARPs, they'd be a little bit about letting you fight. And because of certain situations and things of that nature. And one of the things that I say with the with systems for buffer is the biggest problem is inclusivity to all people enjoying the fight. If you are not physically capable of doing the item, you can't do it. And the other negative I would say for most buffer LARPs is the crunchiness of a system. The more things you're throwing out there, the more words you're throwing out there during a fight, the more confusing it gets and the more, less people hear you. And so we see a lot of people who create um, some really great games that get hampered by all this creative stuff that they're doing, but it's not inclusive and it's very confusing when you're calling damage, when you're doing different things like that. So I've, I've literally never been to one of these before. Yeah. I had a bunch of friends who did it in college, and it was mostly large beardy men putting on Viking outfits and hitting each other with foam swords. So please tell me what it's really like. <laughs> <laughs> well, like from a, from a design perspective, because... It, it depends on the... Uh, it depends on the... Especially for boffer LARPs, it depends on um, your touch system. Okay. Uh, if you go to things like Daggerhear or Darkon, uh, they are... We are going to beat the ever-living crud out of you and maybe role-play. Okay. Uh, so and they are very upfront about that. So it's a little like um, like a martial arts tournament sort of thing where it's based on hits? Pretty much. It's okay. based on yeah. hits. You get knocked over, uh, you know, and, and you're going to come out bruised at the end of the day. Okay. Um, then you have lightest touch buffer systems that go to the issue of you're going to hit. You're only going to hit in a certain amount of flurry and then come back to a guard 
and you're going to continue doing stuff later on down the line. The goal is to not hurt another individual, to make somebody, you know, to, but to, and also to kind of have that flourish of a system. Right. Uh, I play in a game called Dead, Dead Legends right now, where they and actually who goes to that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. They, have, they actually they actually say at Dead Legends. So if you're gonna throw a pickaxe at somebody, it's heavy. Act it out. You know, make it look <laughs> oh, so like as cheesy as you could possibly do. Pitch a fit at. Yeah. I, I I will say. I really hate buffer LARPs because my experience with them as a blind person has been that they look at me and they go, you don't know how to fight. And <clears throat> Michael's making a face because he knows that I probably was thinking about showing them <laughs> things. Um, no, but I mean, I, you know, you go into a buffer LARP and part of the other issue is other people. It's not just that the design is problematic. It's that when you go into an environment where you are fighting with other people and you're trained and they're not, that's actually kind of scary. Because I've been doing stage combat since I was 13. So I know how to do things like drop when I see something coming. I know when to dodge. I know when that Naga hide, oh, my, the thing I hate the most about this, by the way, is ranged weapons and buffers. Um, I don't like being hit with Naga hide pellets and neither do you. <laughs> yes. So um, I, I think that the problem really is inclusivity not just because I can't necessarily play because there are instructors, or not instructors, but people who would be like, eh, but also because we need to be inclusive of people who don't know how to fight. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can teach people how to fight in game, but when we're doing things with actual foam weapons, that gets a little hinky. We also we mentioned Fiori Delibri at the beginning of this. That was the first <laughs> first sword manual ever created uh, in the 1400s. Uh, first Eastern sword, uh, or Western sword mem uh, swordsmanship manual. And uh, one of the things Delibri says is, and let me ask, pose this question, who is the most dangerous, most dangerous person on the battlefield? The least trained one. The least trained person there. Yep. <laughs> because no matter what happens, you're going to sit there and say, on guard, and I'm ready for this, and the person's going to go, uh... <laughs> and you're oh. you're going to be skewered through the foot, and you're going to be like, "How did that happen? He didn't do I anything I wanted to do." You. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I studied uh, historical martial arts through Landesknecht, and I was fairly well trained at this point. And new guy shows up, and he's like, "Oh, I'll fight the girl." <laughs> Again, make good life choices when you pick up a sword. So he comes at me with the dusak. And I actually start to beat him in the duel, and he panics, so he speeds up. And this is how I have this scar on this side of my eye, because I took a, an aluminum dusak to the side of the head at full speed. I had a bruise this big for a week and a half. And yes, it's dangerous, but also people who don't know what they're doing are stupid. <laughs> And that's uh, and the thing. I think the thing that with most boffer, if anybody's out there doing a boffer LARP, the first thing you need to do is find some training in weapons mm -hmm. combat. Learn it yourself. Make sure your marshals and your staff learn it themselves, and make sure that nobody walks into the fight without knowing how to do a basic block and a basic shot, because otherwise you're going to have some. Not only are you going to have problems, but you're also going to have some liability issues yeah. down the line. So that's a big one. 
Now you've done. You mentioned early on that you'd you'd participate in some of the largest, uh, some of these large zo- like the zombie LARP that you've done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple instances of that, so I th- there must be some sort of national organization. Oh yes, sitting yes. over it. Yeah. Do, is that design built into what the national organization does? How much of that lies with the with the people uh, with the national organization? Well, the the national organization, like we tried to ensure that everybody got that got trained the best that they possibly could. Then you have a thousand people sitting there, you know, like at a <laughs> national event with six different chapters, and you're like, "Oh, is everybody here trained?" Uh, and we, we we can't get 100 percent, but we do that. That that organization does have a lightest touch combat system, so when somebody starts swinging hard, the one comment that they will that is built into the system is, everybody puts their hand on their head and says, "Excuse me, could you please stop swinging that hard? You're hurting me." And as soon as you say that. Usually the person, you know, gets there. And I always told all of my staff members who are NPCs who are getting hit by the, by the people who are really getting gung-ho and fired up, I would always say, do me a favor. Say, please stop hitting me that way. You're hurting me. Don't say, hey, beep, uh, you're, you're hurting me. <laughs> because the instant you start with, you know, the instant you start with an expletive or you're angry, they're going to get defensive. I'm not hitting that hard. I'm not doing that. But if you go, please, mister, you're really big and you're hurting me, that's when they go, oh, oops, sorry. And that's when they get sheepish. And then for the rest of the game, they will never hurt another person for the rest of their life, <laughs> their time there. But it's, uh, you know, and, and like we, we do train people in that situation of, hey, this is how to de-escalate a situation so that it doesn't get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see some, something, call hard <coughs> as fast as you possibly can. Be as safe as you possibly can because, no, you know, like this, we're, we're hitting each, and the, the quote is, we're hitting each other with plumbing supplies. Come on. You know, <laughs> we're out here to have fun. We're not here to, to go nuts about it. So are there, you know, you say a lighter, lighter touch system or uh, a heavier touch system. Are there kind of separated from the games and the big LARPs, is there, is there a set of rules that somebody has set up that, you can, that can be called and say, hey, guys, here is a way of thinking about how you design your, your LARP that you can apply irrespective of sort of the, the, the fictional trappings? Some people have tried, but it's, it's very difficult to, and actually, if you look at most LARP systems, they are actually pretty cookie cutter. Uh, most people follow each other's design if it's not for the, you know, if it's not exactly, as you said, if it's not the genre stuff, mm-hmm. the fight system is almost cookie cutter. You walk into Dead Legends, you can walk into Dystopia Rising, you can walk into Night Realms, you can walk into Nero, and 90% of the yeah. stuff you will know walking in because everybody just kind of copies. Uh, I mean, one thing I would say is if you're planning on writing any kind of combat system for a LARP, I would highly recommend at least looking into learning some of the stage combat techniques, specifically stage combat design techniques, because you'll learn a lot about what fight choreography looks like. Because when, it, when you're putting a bunch of people into a game space with weapons in their hands, you still need to know how, where to put them. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's been quite helpful to me when it's in, when in LARP, to go, oh, these are the fight stations. I can track where people are. Mm-hmm. So since I've never done it before in a LARP like the World of Darkness LARPs, how does a combat shake out? Oh, don't get me started. Okay. Okay. I work for the Camarilla. I work for the Camarilla. I work for the Camarilla for a long time, and, and granted, I haven't tried the new Onyx Path, um, or I haven't tried the new Mind's Eye Society stuff. Um, 
the problem that I had more than anything else with the parlor system of, of White Wolf was, I brutally hit you! I dexterously dodge! Rock, paper, scissors. I am a seventh generation vampire. I scare everybody, yet I can't hit that damn neonate with a gun. And I have sniping eight, and I'm sitting right five steps away from him, and I can't hit him. And it, because I lost three challenges, and just three challenges. Now, granted, some people like random, randomizing. For me, I like randomizing if it makes sense. And unfortunately, it used to never make sense to me. And, you know, like I'm sitting there at one point, that and also whenever you saw a combat happen, because it's such a very political game, and it's supposed to be a role-play game, it really is, uh, but people will see combat and they'll go, combat! Yeah. And if you're in parlor LARPs, if you're thinking of doing any kind of parlor LARPs, be prepared for this. This happens on a regular basis. Big bad comes through the door. Everybody goes because they're bored. And they go and they attack it. And then it takes hours. I was in a, at Neglect, which was one of the tri-regional conventions. I see my friend Strauss coming back in the morning and he's walking like a zombie. And I'm like, Strauss, what's wrong? And he goes, eight and a half hour combat. And I'm like, no. And he goes, yes, 30 Bruja attack two six gens. The six gens won. <laughs> they wiped out an entire Bruja line. And, then, and I go, no, you're kidding with me. And he flips open this book and he's like, 375 health points lost. 300, they had to mark it down. They were sitting there marking it down because they needed to know what was going on. And I was like, holy crud, how did this get through? And that's that's you know this is one of my uh, that's one of my pet peeves for parlor LARPs is because it's not a fluid system because everybody's going and one of the things I would really wish to see in a parlor LARP system is a system that's so easy that people can understand that's fluid that I could walk up to you and just go we're fighting. New World Mega School. Huh. New World Magascola has done it quite nicely, actually. Mm -hmm. um, what, my, much of what they're doing is wand combat, but their dual, their, their dual structure is really smart because it's controlled by the person being spelled. And they do much the same thing when there is just plain old combat. Um, I got to dual wield a white cane and a sword at one point this last year. Um, and so, yeah, like people came at me, and that was fine. And we were doing very slow motion, but there was no dice. There was no anything. It was all opt-in. Mm -hmm. So I think the opt-in fight system can work when it's two people matched going, okay, I get to choose what happens to my character. You get to choose what happens to your character. We can even pull off screen for a second, go out of character and say, this is how this fight will end mm -hmm. and pre-negotiate. I think it works. It's, it may not work for every game, but I think for some of them it'll work really well. I actually did find one exceptional parlor LARP system for fighting, mm -hmm. uh, and it was uh, one of the security guys here at the Double Exposure Conventions and I were talking, and he talked about this old LARP that somebody did that was based on like Errol Flynn and what? Zorro and all of the all of the the old school uh, old school fight movies because in those movies. You ever notice that they only fought one person and then they'd have like five people jump them? The guy would parry everybody and go back to fighting that one when person. When are you running this? Uh, <laughs> when I finally design it. Uh, but, the, but I heard about this and basically the way that it was was you would walk up to a person, you challenge them to a duel, and you'd go, three, five, six. 
and you'd make arm motions that looked like sword sword gestures. The person would go three, five, six in the blocking. Now it's his turn. Five, six, four, three. And they're basically playing Simon. Until somebody loses, they take a hit. Now it's very deadly because you only had two health points. But because you're sitting there challenging, you're doing this huge thing where four people can watch. Now what happens if more people jump in? Well, this was a, and this is the problem that I'm getting into on designing this LARP is what happens when 20 people jump the person. Um, but like- Because in, you know that'll happen. Yeah, but in that one, they'd have like, like specialty powers where it'd be like sweep, where you'd see a sweeping block and it would just knock everybody off and you'd go back to fighting the one person. And I was like, this is such a cool system because as a fighter and in fencing, in fencing there's eight parries. Now, if you're in sport fencing, there's four. Uh, but if you're in historical, there's eight. So I could literally sit there and show people what the eight parries are in fencing, teach them actual sword combat, and then give them a memory game. And they would actually be able to fight as if they're fencing. I'm having deep joy right now. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Uh, I'll have to see if I can get it uh, get it finished by some by Dexcon, uh, but you know. But it's a, it like you know there are some very creative ways of uh, of attempting to do things. But the big the big negative to that one is what happens when three people jump one guy. Right. And or ranged combat. Yeah, yeah, ranged combat. In addition to that, like you're sitting there fencing the person, and the guy goes, "Uh, hit you for five damage." Yeah, and that's the other thing about the Again, problem. Again, I with, hate ranged combat. <laughs> with parlor and boffer larps, nothing is worse than ranged combat because if you're shooting a dart gun, anybody ever get hit by a nerf gun from like ten feet away? Yeah. Yes. You might feel it. What about thirty feet away? No. Nope. You, you feel nothing. Yeah. And if you're in winter combat with full clothes, full winter clothes, guess what? You're not nothing. feeling nope. nothing. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no, nobody's going to be using guns. Uh, but it's. You know, like, but I, I do think that the for designing LARP systems, you've got to be very, very cautious and look towards your things. And one thing I did want to point out too, she brought up the fact that you know, um, you should uh, you should learn certain aspects and learn things. And I would I would honestly, if you've never taken a self defense course or a uh, a fighting course, fencing course, go out there and find them. They're out there. Uh, and one of the first things that you will learn there. Is not picking up a sword, not picking, not you know anything else. It is how to be safe with the people around you, yep. and there is no better lesson than that. And also, too, for those people who are RPG designers who may not be doing actual physical combat or anything like that, you will see <clears throat> what a what a fighter normally does. And I, I think all of us can agree on this. I, you know, you can disagree with me. I'm perfectly fine with that. But I think most of us know that the first thing that you should be looking for when you're starting a fight is sizing the person up and being able to defend yourself yeah. before yeah. attacking. And that, and most martial arts teach that. That and also, what's your exit strategy? Yes. Yes. The, yeah. um, the self-defense that we've been working on mostly has been about finishing fights, not, yeah. not starting yeah. them. Never. Absolutely mm -hmm. never starting them. Um, especially as a woman, you're almost mm -hmm. certainly going to be targeted, not yeah. Picking the fight, I hope. <laughs> uh, I didn't start the fight at Oxford. No, I, Someone I, else did. Uh, and every fight which I've been in, which have, I can count on one hand, thank God, um, were finishing. It was not starting. And we, we were working on things like, what happens if someone sweeps me off my feet and tries to stuff me in the back of a car? Yeah. Um, but I'm six feet tall, so that's actually kind of hard. <laughs> but, like, uh, Where are you located? 
I'm in Mechanicsburg. It's in oh. Pennsylvania. Okay. But too far away. Uh, we could talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk. I love talking shop about this sort of thing. Um, so some of that training we've done is I stand around until I'm not ready, and he comes up behind me and like. Obviously, there's trust there. He's yeah. my good friend. We're doing this in a basement. We're doing it in a safe environment. And then I have to figure out how to, like, not get dragged into, like, a tape square in his basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is training muscle memory to be ready so that your initial reaction isn't just flailing your limbs uselessly. Also, um, are there any other fiction writers here? Okay, yeah. So this is all also applicable to your fiction writing, 100%. And especially if you're going to be writing any kind of historical anything, the way that you describe how people pick up swords and use them, we can tell if it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend getting education if you're going to be doing anything like that. Because this stuff will apply, it will carry over to other fictional projects. So I do really encourage you to get some kind of education. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because, as you said, uh, finishing a fight. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us here will agree with that. Finishing the fight is the is the common goal. Like the best thing to do is to hurt your attacker and run and run. Yeah, and run. run, 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 mm-hmm. run. Call the police or don't call the police. <laughs> it, yeah. depending on the situation, because sometimes they won't run and you. get to a safe place. Yeah, run and get to mm-hmm. a safe place. And in all honesty, every single every single fencer that I've seen, every single like swordsmanship manual that I've read. It is all about defending yourself to the point where you can take the person out mm-hmm. and finish the fight and walk away. It is not about flair. It is not about anything else. If you get flair comes from being good and the, having the muscle memory to allow for multiple motions. It's not crazy. Most sword things, fights. Things. <laughs> yeah. Most sword fights are not actually pretty. No, it's usually just yeah. So. How would you gamify that? How I gamify that? Uh, well, I think that's one of the things that is a problem with some of the games is that we, you know, like now, granted, heavy, heavy action type things like Seven C, you want that flair, that flamboyance, and things like that. It's early mechanics. Yeah, panache. Yeah, panache. So, like, love that. my real answer is I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Unless you were really going for a gritty horror, yeah. like yeah. the realist, the realism of fighting is not cool at all. Um, it's like, ugly. It's ugly, uh, and I say this as a person who actually kind of enjoys the sport of martial arts. Right. Like, yeah. I like kicking and doing flips and punching, and like, I love kung fu movies, and like, yeah. I like high action. I love high action, like flared sword fights and exalted stunting and wire foo and all that. I love all that, but that's not real. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to put aside yeah. the realism for enjoying that. Um, and when I game, I want to do backflips and, and kick fireballs. Again, and that's <laughs> kind of where you can learn things from stage combat people, because yeah. their job is to insert drama in fight. Um, but, I mean, that comes with many complications, like learning how to make it look like your feet are kicking off the ground while you're being beaten to death. <laughs> yeah. It's a skill. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this that's the thing. Like, yes, you can gamify these things and you can dramatize them, but... I don't think you necessarily want to. Yeah. Um, Unless if you're going for high realism, in which case, talk well, to the nice people. One of the things I did write that unfortunately got cut before it went to print, but will be appearing in a later book. Um, oh, you resuscitated your darling. I did. I, did, I didn't I did make it get cut in the first place. But um, So I 
World of Darkness, uh, Chronicles of Darkness, sorry, not World of Darkness, um, did a book called Hurt Locker, which is all about grittier, realistic combat template for the um, that system. And I wrote an entire chapter of tilts, which are basically combat-specific conditions. Uh, and then it unfortunately got cut for word count before print. I still got paid. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's going to be reappearing in Hunter, the Vigil. Nice. Uh, yes. That's but where that of, belongs. Yes, that is where it belongs. And like it included things like fighting in mud and in a filthy place and in a building that's falling apart and one for like, what happens if you are the driver pinned in the front seat and someone's trying to stab you from the back? Um, but one of the ones I wrote was Agony, which is extreme pain, uh, which is one of the key tools in a real fight. Yeah. Um, and what Agony does is just de- you apply that tilt and the other person basically can do nothing until they spend a moment like, ah, because if you go for eyes, ears, throat, nose, break face. A, break an arm, you're going to get an agony. Arm, yeah. you know. no. Break a finger. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. That takes a lot more effort than going like this to somebody's ears. Just True. saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see somebody cringed. Yeah. Uh, you you well, started to go down the eyeball path and that's my X card. Yeah. So. Right, right, okay. <laughs> Uh, we had a uh, we had a question here. I uh, just wanted to make sure. Um, well, it's actually less of a question and more of a you know I agree strongly with uh, the comment about especially for apocalypse, but just in general uh, studying stage combat uh, for if you're going to design combat in general, because eventually combat in gaming, as I found, eventually the players will try to turn it. The characters will eventually try it on themselves, so you'll get character versus character combat. Yeah, and you'll also get character assertion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things stage combat teaches players and teaches uh, participants is that in a if the characters are fighting each other, they're not fi- actually fighting each other. They're partners in a fight yes. telling a story instead of just people actually trying to Yes. Yeah. Uh, stage combat is about partnering. Yeah. Um, the other thing which Mike has heard me talk about is that partner dance is very helpful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because you learn pacing. What do you mean by partner dance? Uh, any kind Actual, of uh, like swing bongo. dance, okay. Lindy, Tango, right. Foxtrot. Right. Actually, Lindy Hop is probably my favorite because you get thrown around a lot too. Um, and actually, when we when we do uh, when we do fencing, uh, our coach talks about tempo a lot, yep. and uh, the fact that every fencing match is tempo, and one of the best ways to win is when you switch tempo on the individual. Yeah. That's and how watch I that used. Happen. That's how I used to win competitions because I was a dancer. That's, yeah, that's how I do it too. So literally, people would be like, "Oh, she's blind. She's just gonna come straight for me," and I would just slightly shift it, and then they would get confused. <laughs> but in uh, in one of the things which you said about how do you gamify realism, I think one of the things you got to take a look at, especially with your games, is the realisticness of your weapons. And how realistic do you want them to be? If you want to do John, uh, you know, like a, a John Wick, you know, gun style, gun foo shooting thing, you're definitely going to make guns really, really less damage than anything so that you can have those cool scenes. But if you're, uh, like, for example, right now I'm in a boffer LARP, and I know it's not RPG, but it's interesting because of Dead Legends, um, we actually have. Somehow the characters have built in a fear of guns because guns are more powerful. And so you'll see people pull out their fists and start beating the crud out of people in the bar and nobody will bat an eye. Somebody will pull out a knife and everybody kind of looks at it and it's just like, okay, that's a little bit of a fight. 
we had a new guy walk in and start like holding his gun and as he's holding his gun he's pointing it around the room and the people around the room when the gun got to him immediately just unhooked their holster and put their hands on their holster and would just sit there watching and waiting to see what happened and you could see the entire room's tension immediately happen because we knew guns were more damaging and more realistic in this game. And I think that that's one of the big things you got to take a look at when you're looking at gamifying your uh, gamifying your your fight system is how high fantasy do you want it? How gritty do you want it? How deadly? How deadly do you want it? And that's those three things you got to ask those questions because otherwise you're going to have uh, you're going to have people and you also have to make sure that the people who buy your game like that, you know, like decide that they like your system. Also, a safety note, because we're talking about realism. If you are at a boffer game or some or other parlor. game or parlor mm-hmm. where you have weapons, be sure that you're being safe about that because um, I was once at a LARP where we got police copters called on us because the guns were too realistic. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Seattle, Washington, Camarilla, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. <laughs> I think yeah. my favorite was uh, the fact that we were... Uh, when we would do Cthulhu Live and some of the games here, we had I have an airsoft arsenal at home uh, that we used to use as props. And of course, we were in enclosed spaces, and we moved to the learning center over here. And what I forgot about, and I live in this area, is I forgot that the Secret Service and the FBI have an yep. office over there. So <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting there pulling realistic-looking forty-fives out of coats and stuff like that, oh and I'm like looking out the window, going. <laughs> and uh, they we have at least have orange tips. Hot, yeah, they did, but okay. you can't really see, see it them. through a window, right, right, that's a fair. tinted window. That's fair. So, uh, so I was sitting there like, oh my! And actually, there was one game I was at at a One World by Night game where, um, in the system for Parlor, you could do rock paper scissors, but there was also the bomb. And we were apparently we were on the mall at Washington D.C. Oh no! And this, trust me, this was. This was in the 90s, so this is better, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, but somebody was running around the Washington Monument going, I have the bomb. Oh. Yeah, um, I think I have a Secret Service file now. Um, <laughs> I know Because I they questioned us. Camarilla, of course you have a Secret No, this was one worldwide night, so we were safe. Oh, uh, but, the, but, the, but we actually got, uh, we actually got investigated by the FBI because apparently Clinton was speaking at the, at the Constitution oh Center across the street. <laughs> Boy. So, <laughs> life choices. We didn't know, <laughs> but uh, you know. So you got to be careful about your uh, about what you use, what you do, especially if you're using anything on that. But even in even in RPG games, I've seen people in RPG games who are yelling stuff in the middle of a hotel conference yep. oh room, God, yep. and people are like, "Excuse me, security." They're talking about killing someone t- in there. <laughs> they're in there talking about what's the best way to detonate a bomb in the convention center. That was what happened during that dead scare game, by the way. <laughs> this is why they now put me inside the rooms with the closed door. <laughs> yeah. and, and on a social and mental health safety note, if you are going to play a brutal, realistic game, you should put that forward and then like make it clear what is not acceptable to talk about um, because just describing a self-defense technique made Elsa uncomfortable. I didn't yep. right. intend to do that, obviously, but... You know, I have ice. Yep. <laughs> can, can, actually, that's a really important point. Like in in story games, one of the tools that we use is the X card, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and having be, and and in in LARPs, in American Freeform, there there are you know there's rewind, there's cut, cut and, break. cut and break, and there's also open door, right? Like at any point you can walk out of the game, no judgment, you're done, right? It's really important, and we probably should have led off with that. That no yeah. matter what you're doing, yeah. no matter what you're designing. 
you need to give your players the ability to go, okay, I'm, I'm done with this, and not judge them for that. Mm -hmm. So whatever tool, whether you want to take a pre-existing tool like the X card or cut and break and, and, um, and open door that, that you have, you know, use it. Put it up front. Make sure your players know that it's there. Make sure that the people who are running your games know that it's there. Um, these, when we talk about this level of violence, right, you have no idea what you're going to end up triggering in people. Or right? what people have experienced or <clears throat> yeah, where exactly. they've been. And there's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that you can in just inadvertently flip a switch. Or even things that are fantastical that can make people uncomfortable. Yeah. I made somebody very uncomfortable by accident with a description. Uh, it was a particularly gory description, but it was fant it was fantastical. It wasn't like right. something that could have someone could have realistically lived through. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to describe it again on the off chance it would make anybody else upset, sure. but mm -hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't realistic, but it was gross. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things is uh, I, I know I grew up in a time, especially where uh, RPGs were, you know, like people would want to go farther and farther and farther. And one of the things is um, I actually work at a Catholic school. I'm a I'm a Catholic school fencing teacher, and uh, I do have a small issue with demons. Just it's a personal thing, and I'll tell the people, if there's going to be demons in this world, please make them as non-realistic as possible, and if you start quoting the Bible in my game, I'm walking out the door. And I would get mocked and, and ridiculed for, do, for, for acting my faith, and I think that a lot of people, we lose a lot of players yeah. that way. And it doesn't matter if it's if it's mainstream faith or your faith or even just whatever is going on. You've got to tell people that it's okay to walk out of your game or say that I can't yeah. do this. Um, I think the worst was we we used to have killer clowns at Dystopia Rising, and mm -mm. man, no, the amount of people who when those clowns came knocking <laughs> just went nope, nope. <laughs> not yep. doing anything. Can you please leave? Thank you. Yep. Okay, we can't do this uh, building today. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Would now be a good time for the Daredevil? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay, I actually have to get down for this. Okay. Um, so Mike asked me to do my Daredevil rant, which is completely truncated because I do this as an hour-long lecture. But um, has everybody seen or at least heard about the Netflix Daredevil? Yes. Okay, so he throws his white cane, guys. He folds it up, he's about to go into combat, he goes, I don't need this anymore. Chuck, this is a weapon. Yeah. I'm not using the full length one, but Fiori's Magic Circle works like this. Out here, can hurt somebody. Out there, can hurt somebody. Turn around, can hurt somebody. That's too White canes are weapons. Don't do the thing where you're the idiot able-bodied person who says, oh no, they don't need that, here, let me chuck it. I'm just going to get rid of a super really nice thing for you to, you know, be in a fight with. Yours folds up, that's a disarming weapon. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a question? How can we put a disabled character into, your, into a game and make it functional? So, one, you need to design your game to actually have disabled people in it and have them have adaptive devices and that is a part of your world. Two, it is perfectly acceptable in a fantastical setting to do things like weaponize wheelchairs. Um, white canes can have things attached to them. Um, but also being willing and open to the idea that disabled characters are going to be in combat. Creating that expectation alone gives us a better place to have that inclusion. Um, 
I hope that answers your question. No, it does, because that's one thing that I, every time I ask a question like this, I want to know exactly yeah. when I'm designing a system, how can I make things? And like, I have a friend of mine who does bot, who loves, he has cystic fibrosis, he has two canes. Yep. Every time he plays a World of Darkness game, he's an Asamite, he's a Bruja, he's a gang girl, he wants, he wants the physicality, but he can't come to Boffer Larps because nope. we haven't come up with the idea that it works. And that's always the question that I ask when somebody's there. How do we make it so that people can be inclusive, not just in RPGs, but in Boffer, but in Parlor, but in everything so that everybody can And all I can tell you is I actually know how you fight with double canes because you use one as plant, and then the other one comes up, and that's your fighting arm. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do it. It's really cool. <laughs> but oh, what this is, is why I studied Eskrima, okay. because it's all stick fighting. Yeah. Um, we have one question. Okay, uh, so, uh, so you're talking about including like, this sale of people in, in the combat and whatnot. And this isn't just for like what I'm mostly asking from an RPG perspective. But, so you're uh, asking for what perspective? RPG. RPG. Oh, like yeah. I have a book about that coming out next year. <laughs> um, I'm writing the Fate Accessibility Toolkit, which is basically all about bringing disabled characters into your game, and there is a full section on combat. Um, but, I mean, I would say just look at your game, look at what your setting is, incorporate disability from day one. Because if you don't, you don't have a concept of where it goes, and that includes on the battlefield. How do you do that? I'm trying to phrase the question, I guess, but, sure. uh, in the same time thinking. But um, like, how do you, how do you display it in a way that isn't insulting? I guess. Oh, that's a whole other panel. One <laughs> <laughs> um, of the things I wanted to throw out was that uh, Through the Breach and Malifaux regularly includes characters with prosthetic limbs yep. and eyes. Yep. Like, and is presented as a normal setting thing. Um, and like they are viable, cool yeah. combat weapons. It's such to the point that people actually want to play characters yeah. that are missing limbs so they can have a cool prosthetic like, clockwork limb. How cool is a clockwork limb? Right? That's sort of complicated, but yeah. yes. Yeah. But like, it, but I would say just normalize disability within your setting. Like, don't have it be an insulting thing. Have it be a thing. But I mean, in, in, the, in the perspective of making it realistic combat, I've never seen a blind person fight. I've never seen a deaf person fight. It, it's just not in movies. And when you do see it in movies, it's like Star it's Wars. terrible. The guy has force <laughs> mm-hmm. powers, and he's able to predict everything that's going on around him. It's not how it works. Or in, <laughs> in Daredevil, <laughs> Spike, so how, or how Snake. Do you, how do you make a disabled person effective, but not making it like, oh, well, like a disability is no big deal? <laughs> Because there are challenges. Listen, I'm, I've been fencing for most of my life. I've competed in saber competitions. I, can't, I don't do foil because I can't see foil through my visor. It's just not possible. He's seen me try. It's like I have an invisible stick on in my hand. Um, it can be done. I know blind fencers who do it anyway, but it's hard. There's the, there, are, there are obstacles. A deaf person can't hear when somebody's coming up behind them. It doesn't mean you don't learn how to defend yourself. It just means your techniques are different. So if you're interested in looking at actually including disabled people and having combat, you have to watch videos of people who are disabled do fighting. And also, too, internet. And if I may, um, uh, one of the things that I, when I teach some of my kids some things, um, I actually have a time when I try to tell them that you can feel the blade, you can feel pressure on the blade, you can do things. Your your eyes deceive you way too much. So if you can do 
with pressure sense and with set and with smell and with and with I I fight motion. by pressure. Yeah, we, pressure is a huge thing for especially sword combat. Yep. So blind people can actually work really really well. He's I, working. I almost beat you once. Yes. You, <laughs> <laughs> well, close. I think we're about to get kicked yeah. out of yeah. here. But I'm will, we're willing. I'm, I don't know about you. We're willing, I'm willing to sit out here for a little bit if you have some extra questions. Um, I, I have know, to get if, food, if but I'll be food. around all weekend. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, have, I have time. All right. And I want to thank you all for coming out. Thank I want you to so thank, much. You, thank my panel uh, for coming through. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys.